Hello and welcome to an informed live radio on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager. And for the next two hours, we've got some really good conversation uh, happening. It's going to be international today. Our first guest, who's um, running a little bit late, but we're going to get a hold of him, um, is actually in New Zealand, um, coming to us from way down under. And our second guest in the second hour is coming or came to us from Israel. I pre-recorded a little bit earlier today since, uh, you know, the times are so very different between us and them. So we have a bit of an international flavor today. And with me, um, and he'll be here in just a second, he's behind the scenes, is Javier Figueroa, my sidekick and co-host and PhD, who I'm very thrilled to have on board, um, adding to the conversation, such important conversations. Um, going on, you know, freedom of speech, medical due diligence, getting information. It's, you know, there's nothing more important right now than trying to find good information and figure out what is good information. What source do you trust when the world is somewhat topsy-turvy? Those industries and agencies that you thought you could trust without even thinking about have now turned out to be, um, captured by corporate interests, by global interests, and the information that they are putting out there is not necessarily uh, fact or truth um, or complete and not necessarily in your best interest. So we are still so grateful here in the United States of America to have, you know, the airwaves, radio airwaves are some of the remaining last bastions of, of free speech, of where individuals can come forward and doctors and attorneys and scientists can talk about their research, their patients, their protocols without being censored. Um, I want to thank in particular all of the wonderful members of um, Informed Choice Washington who sponsors this show for their monthly donations and individual donations. Everything from this, um, this show is it's sponsored by your donations. And also by Children's Health Defense. They also donate to this program so we can bring you two full hours of radio every week and try to bring you really important information that you need to know. Um, for those uh, facing some mandates, which seem to be increasing all the time, we encourage you go to our website, informedchoicewa.org, and look for the COVID mandates help page. What we're doing there is we're attempting to collate the, the best information that we can find on legal help legal action, steps that you can take, trying to find ways to hook up individuals with, um, uh, with the legal help and legal resources they need um, in order to get ex exemptions, keep their job, or perhaps even um, trying to maybe take action against an employer who fired them for not getting the job or did not accept their religious exemption. So, you know, we're doing what we can. We've got some great team. I just, I'm just can't be uh, more thankful to the team members at Informed Choice Washington. I'm, you know, I'm often the 
face. The, you guys hear my voice. I talk a lot. You see me out there, but it's not just me. We have a massive team of amazing parents who volunteer. Um, not all of them are parents, some are not, um, but individuals in this state who volunteer their time in order to get truth and information out there. And we are so very grateful for all the hard work that everybody does in all of their uh, communities at the local level. We're really finding that local level is where it at, where it's at. You know, the state agencies are so entrenched and so controlled by the federal agencies, which are in themselves controlled by corporate interests, that getting, even when you get somebody who will listen a little bit, you can't get them to budge because they're just in this corrupt system that is immovable. But when you get down to the local level and you know the per person who's the commissioner is your neighbor and, and you get the much more human interaction and there's that more local control, you can get some real dialogue going on. And that's what's been happening in, in some areas is some really good respectful dialogue, bringing real information um, forward and, and in some areas, we have whistleblowers coming forward from the medical system saying that what you're being told by the media and by the health departments is not the reality of what we're seeing. And um, I look forward for more of that information to be coming forward. They say when one man or woman stands up, 50 more grow a backbone. And we are seeing more and more people standing up. We really have no choice right now but to stand up because if we accept and we quietly play along with what's happening, then we are accepting this reality for our children and our grandchildren and future generations. And so it has to stop here. And, and it starts with each and every one of us. We all have to be heroes. We, we look to some wonderful national level people and local level people and those who, you know, been at it a little bit longer for guidance and support. But, um, but each and every one of us in, in our lives, go to your school board meetings, go to the city council meetings, um, go to your county council meetings, speak up, stand up. And if you know somebody who is being faced with um, job loss, with loss of access to somewhere that's important to them, let's rally around each other and please support each other where we can and help each other get through this. And you know, so we can get to a better place with freedom more secure and our choices more secure. So um, looks like we're still having trouble here. Well, we will, I, I hope have success with getting our guest from New Zealand on. It looks like he's having a little bit of trouble. Um, so, and Javier, I think he's still around. He'll, he'll pop in as soon as he can. He's trying to get our guest uh, hooked up here. So I'm going to just keep talking to y'all. I just, uh, we're streaming now on Facebook and on Facebook, I just noticed at the Washington State Department of Health Facebook page, they're promoting an event that's coming up on Saturday. Is that tomorrow? Saturday, October 9th, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. It is at a school at Ballard High School. They are promoting a free 
HPV vaccine, flu and COVID vaccine clinic that you could come get one, two, or all three of those shots for free. I have never seen anything more reckless by our state government. And they've done a lot of reckless things in this past year. But the COVID-19 injections have never been studied um, when given with other vaccines, no studies at all. There have been especially zero studies done with what would be called an adjuvanted vaccine. Not all vaccines have, um, they all have something that works as an adjuvant that makes, stimulates your immune system to wake it up to say, hey, look at this, it's a foreign agent, attack it, make antibodies, make immune memory. You know, So um, if you see this again, you'll go after it, right? Some vaccines need extra help. If you didn't add something that your body consider, considers toxic to it to stimulate the immune system to wake up, there would be very little immune response to that product. So they add an adjuvant. And in the case of Gardasil, the HPV vaccine that is used, made by Merck and used in the United States, they have a adjuvant called AAHS. And I forget how to pronounce the whole thing. It is a proprietary aluminum adjuvant. It's one of the most potent adjuvants ever invented. It's highly reactogenic and nobody no doctor, no scientist, no public health official, secretary of health, the immunization director, the governor, nobody knows what your immune system will do when you inject it with one product that tells, gives your cells the instruction booklet of how to begin pumping out by the millions spike, a genetically altered stabilized spike protein and the AAHS Gardasil adjuvant, which says, hey, immune system, wake up, kick into high gear. This is potentially so dangerous, zero safety studies. And here they are at a high school promoting that they are giving away three vaccines at once with zero studies. Is there going to be informed consent? Will the young people they're targeting with these products be told, hey, guess what? We've never done them all three together. You're a guinea pig. Are the parents going to be told? And in Washington state, sometimes we get what's called, you know, there's a, a mature minor doctrine, which is totally abused by the vaccine industry and by public health. Mature minor doctrine um, goes back to the 60s or 70s. And it pretty much says that if a, an individual is a minor, but they're mature, they're living on their own, they're financially independent, they can make their own medical decisions, even though they're not of age, either 18 or 21, depending on what it is they want to do in some circumstance. Um, in Washington, they allow um, young people as young as um, 14 to choose a vaccination if the person administering it, the doctor, deems them to be a mature minor. And it's really very much abused because they're, they're often giving it to children who still live at home, who live under their parents' guidance, their parents' rules, not financially independent. These are not mature minors living on their own, living on the streets, living independently. 
And if they do give a combination of these shots, each of these shots alone can cause a severe adverse reaction. All three together, heaven help us, who knows? The Gardasil and the COVID shots, terrifying. And if a minor is deemed a mature minor and gets these two without parental consent and the parent doesn't know, they won't know why their child is having these severe health issues, especially if the child is now afraid to tell their parent what they did. We need some better, tighter legislation to protect children in the state, to protect them from the predatory um, vaccine industry. Um, which is co the, you know, public health is, has been co-opted by them. It's, it's really very tragic. So I encourage anybody living near Ballard High School in Seattle tomorrow from 11 to 1 to please maybe get, go to Informed Choice Washington, gather some information on the HPV vaccine and on informed consent and go hand it out at Ballard High School. And, and especially if, if all you do is write, write a big sign that says, there are zero studies showing that administering these vaccines together is safe. You know, Just make sure, if you're in the area, please make sure that anybody there knows there are zero safety studies. We cannot use the general population, especially our children as guinea pigs. Still watching to see? where our people are. I've lost Javier now. So, oh, but you know, there's, there's sadly um, never a shortage of things to talk about when we want to talk about informed consent. I'm going to go uh, ahead and grab some really important information here from uh, Children's Health Defense. Are you hearing me here? There we go. And get you up to date on a little bit of what's going on. There's been just so much movement. There's been some really good legal movements and some concerning uh, movements that have not necessarily gone well. So let's go, go ahead and check out what's going on. I really love in the past year, Children's Health Defense, when they created this online magazine called The Defender, they have the most amazing articles. They've got Megan Redshaw, who is an attorney. She does a lot of the uh, legal articles that they put forward. And, um, and then they have guest uh, blog posts, uh, articles by doctors and scientists and other attorneys. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and see what we've got going here on their most recent Posts. I'm not seeing their most recent post. I don't know why they're not jumping up. Signs in September, September, September. All righty. Um, here's the exclusive. We've got one here that I'm going to go ahead and tell you about. Exclusive. Physician horribly injured after Pfizer vaccine pleads with top U.S. public health officials for help and gets none. You know, we've talked about this before on this show. In, uh, when was it? October of 2020, before any of the shots were given emergency use authorization, both the FDA and the CDC presented um, to what's called VRBAC, the vac Vaccine and Related Biologically, uh, Biological Committee. I forget what the whole acronym stands for. 
And they were going over all the science, what they knew, and more importantly, what they didn't know, which was an awful lot because of course, no long-term studies. And they had compiled a list of adverse reactions that they were going to be watching for. And these were educated guesses. These were not just things they pulled out of thin, thin air. These were expected adverse reactions based on the clinical trials so far, on the ingredients of the products and pri um, any sort of experience with those ingredients used in other areas and the new technologies, the mRNA and DNA technologies that were used. They came up with these, these lists and I'm going to find for you what they knew Let's see, I think it's called, my post is called slide 16, if I can find it here quickly for you. Let's see if I can pull that up. It, this is just so important. There we go. So before a single American outside of a clinical trial, I'm going to go ahead and share this screen with you. There we go. Before a single um, uh, citizen was given one of these shots. This was known. These were ex things they knew to watch for. And they include Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is um, an autoimmune disorder that causes paralysis and not everybody recovers. Acute disseminated encephalomyelitis, transverse myelitis, encephalitis, myelitis, all sorts of myelitis and apathies, all having to do with swelling, brain swelling, um, different type of issues, convulsions and seizures, stroke, narcolepsy and cataplexy, anaphylaxis, acute myocardial infarction, that's heart attack, myocarditis and pericarditis, that's heart swelling, autoimmune disease, deaths, Pregnancy and birth outcomes, they knew they needed to watch for, brand new technology. Other acute demyelinating diseases, non-anaphylactic allergic reactions, thrombocytopenia, and that's, um, I believe if I'm remembering correctly where you, you're overbleeding because the shots are causing both blood clotting and excessive bleeding at the same time, which makes medicating very challenging. Disseminated intravascular coagulation, venous thromboembolism, arthritis and arthralgia joint pain, Kawasaki disease, multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children, and vaccine-enhanced disease. So they knew to watch for all of these things. Every blessed one. The problem is they didn't put, not only did they not really show these slides, they were in the slideshow given to this committee, but they clicked, the presenters clicked through them. It was only if you went and sought out the presentation and downloaded it, did you actually get to read the slides? They clicked through them very quickly. They did not want this information talked about, dwelled upon. What they should have done and did not do was send this list to every single vaccine administrator, every single emergency room department, urgent care facility, every hospital, anybody who would be seeing people post-vaccination.
so that they knew to be on the lookout. The other thing they should have done and did not do was maybe spend some of the trillions that were devoted to this whole vaccine program and devote it to making sure anybody who experienced these, in, these reactions were given help. They were said, yes, we believe we knew it might happen. It did happen to you. We're very sorry. Here's the best medical care we have. We're going to do all we can to take care of you. It won't bankrupt you. You know, we're going to take care of you. But no, that did not happen. What happened was people are being abandoned. Doctors don't know to look for it. They were not told. Only if they're searching bears, the vaccine adverse event reporting system only then are they uh, seeing that, wow, yeah, maybe this is, does have to do with, with these COVID-19 shots. And it's, it's, it, within the medical system, it's being seen. It's being discouraged. We are hearing from a lot of insiders that reporting to VAERS is being highly discouraged. They do not want to undermine the program. And so reporting and even talking about the injuries is being highly discouraged. And yet look how many there are, despite the fact that there is suppression. And our, our guest who I recorded, who will be in the next hour, um, did a fantastic study about pharmacovigilance and VAERS. Pharmacovigilance is, you know, the pharmaceutical industry with their products following up on adverse reactions. Are they doing it? Are they doing the good vigilance and following up? Um, of course, the answer is, is no. However, uh, you know, it takes somebody looking closely at the data. And then, you know, you have to go through the whole scientific process of getting it published, you know, peer reviewed and published, and then try to get somebody to pay attention to it. So I'm going to pull up the most recent um, VAERS data here and show it to you. Share. There we go. So many of you are familiar with it. OpenVAERS.com is a fantastic uh, website that was created by uh, somebody who knows how to work with the VAERS system, the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, which is federal. And this makes it a lot easier to grab some quick numbers. It can be really unwieldy to go directly to VAERS and, and try to use their system to pull the numbers forward. So this website does a really good job. You can go there, click on the COVID-19 vaccine data tab, and it will give you some um, firm numbers. One thing they've added recently is you'll see their, the death count right now, the number of deaths following vaccination reported to VAERS is 16,310. 16,310. What they've added recently, because people do report to this from all around the world, um, mostly it's the United States, but around the world, they've also added a button you can click and it will just show reports that came from the United States. So I'm going to click that button now. So 7,215 deaths were reported following vaccination with a COVID shot in the United States. Uh, from the beginning through October 1st, 2021. Now, this does not mean for sure that every single death was connected to the shot. 
theirs can only be used really um, because of how it's a passive system and there's so much underreporting. Um, if anything, you have to multiply by quite a big number to get the true numbers of deaths, but it's really meant for red flags and safety signals. There has never been such a massive safety signal in the vaccine adverse event reporting system ever, never. It's staggering. Um, so the other numbers in the US are 33,703 hospitalizations following immunization. I shouldn't say immunization because it's, it's, it's sort of vaccination. It's a genetic therapy. It's causing your body to make antibodies to a genetically altered stabilized spike protein that your own body is cranking out. That's not the same as immunity. Immunity is getting an infection and having that entire immune system reaction, which is leading to, according to all the published studies, fantastic, long-term, very broad, works with the variants, immunity. The products and the vaccine, the antibodies that they trigger are not the same. And we have 73,124 urgent cares. Oh, I'm seeing, we got John popping on. Hello, he's waving. <laughs> hey there, I'll pull you on just a second. Go ahead and let's see if we can get uh, our visitor from New Zealand. There he is. I'm just gonna go over these numbers here real quick, John. I was just looking at the VAERS um, recent data as of October 1st, 109,000 office visits. Um, one number that's really staggering is 8,088 permanently disabled, permanently disabled. We have got a product that they're using to try to slow um, SARS-CoV-2 that it has already had reported a safety signal of 8,088 disabled people, 7,250 United States deaths. This is just, it's beyond words. I don't understand why we continue, um, you know. Hey, John, how you doing? <laughs> Hi, good. Yeah, finally here. Yeah, welcome, welcome. Well, you know that happens. You're a very long way away. And, you know, yeah. the magic of uh, the internet, you know. So I'm going to tell, um, yay, we got Javier back as well. Woohoo! Awesome. Yay, we're all here. Yeah, so so John Ford is has an, uh, a website called libertynow.com and he's he's considered an expatriate. And I'm not quite sure what that term means. I should I meant to look it up. I've heard expat before, but I'm not right. sure what that means. Does it mean still a, you're a US citizen living abroad or you have what does that mean? Yeah. I I don't know if I, I technically fit the definition of expatriate or not. I, I mean, I feel very patriotic to the United States. <laughs> I, I am uh, still a US citizen and I'm also a permanent resident uh, with voting rights in New Zealand. Um, mm. We're about to get citizenship here. So I will have dual citizenship. Um, I don't know what the criteria, exact criteria for expat are, uh, whether it's a month or seven years living abroad <laughs> as I have yeah. been. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I have been living in New Zealand for seven years. Um, we have no immediate plans to, to move back, but it's not out of the question. Okay. C can you tell um, our, our listeners and viewers here 
a little bit about yourself that brought you to putting up the website and, and being a very strong advocate for medical freedom and informed consent. Yeah, I'm sure. So um, I, I suppose since early childhood, I've always been, I've always questioned authority much to my father's chagrin. Um, <laughs> But uh, he, he raised me to be a critical thinker and a reader. My dad was a librarian, so I grew up essentially in the library and reading uh, at a very young age. And um, I've always been, I guess, activist in, in some way. After I, I was, I spent uh, a little over four years in the Navy as a diver. Um, after getting out of the Navy, I started having a, a broader view about um, you know, world conflicts and, and especially um, international conflicts over um, resources like oil. And so at about age 29, I was inspired to uh, take up a, a project I called Pedal for Peace um, to ride a bicycle around the world as, as sort of a form of protest against um, war over petroleum and also as a, a way to connect personally with people and um, I, I distributed postcards, uh, primarily among like uh, school children. I, I went and spoke at community centers and, and schools and tried to um, create pen pals between countries in order to foster more understanding uh, between countries and, and hopefully reduce the likelihood of misunderstanding and, and wow. maybe create some more political awareness. Um, I, I so admire that. It's so awesome. Now we're going to pause there for just a second because I'm visualizing sure. this young man in his 20s. You hopping on a bike with a backpack, I'm thinking. And did you um, tell me the countries you went through? How, what was your route? What was your journey? Um, I started from Spokane, Washington. I rode across the U.S. Um, took my time. It took me about just over two months. Um, ended up in Washington, D.C., um, had uh, connected with a friend there. Um, side story, I, uh, when I was dropped off at the airport with my bike packed up in a box and all my belongings, getting ready to fly to Portugal, my friend, uh, I, I left my passport and my wallet and all my important documents and plane tickets on top of the car while we were saying goodbye. <laughs> oh, no. And... Uh, when I walked up to the ticket counter, only then realized that he had driven off with everything I needed to travel. Um, however, uh, because I had a bike and I, after I got over my self-pity for a day, um, I managed to get myself hired uh, with a, a bike messenger service and um, ended up ferrying documents between the House and Senate and attorney's offices and things and earned enough money staying in a youth hostel to uh, get another plane ticket. So at the end of the summer, I finally was able to fly over. So um, that was that was so resourceful of you. That's amazing. <laughs> you know, I mean, I would have called my mom. Hey, mom, <laughs> help. I, oh, all, all those thoughts went through my head. I, I certainly was. I mean, I wasn't. Yeah, I didn't have a ton of resources or money, but I, I, I'm sure I could have, you know, gotten somebody to fly me back. What a great but, experience, uh, though. That is amazing. Okay, keep going. This is great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah anyway, I, I was, I, I'm also a very determined person, I guess. And that's <laughs> part of what has gotten me here. Um, I don't give up easily. But anyway, I, uh, I flew into uh, Lisbon, Portugal. And uh, 
unpacked my bike, reassembled it, got all my things together and, and uh, rode through Portugal. It's beautiful country. Um, took a, a side detour through Lourdes, which was also beautiful. But anyway, started making contacts um, along the way from there. I rode through uh, Portugal, Spain, France, and Italy. And um, unfortunately, in, in Italy, in Florence, um, I'll never forget it, at the Piazza San Marco, it's this big roundabout, um, I got caught underneath a semi-truck and broke my leg and uh, smashed up the bike. And uh, <laughs> that, that cut the trip short. Wow. So. Um, and and I, I might have tried to uh, recover and, and maybe ride on from there, but the the doctors in the hospital put me in a cast up to my hip. <laughs> so there was no possibility of, of riding for quite a while. And also the, the bike I had was obliterated. So um, I had to suck it up. And uh, my my former employer agreed to... <laughs> To uh, fly me back if I would work, uh, if I would manage a couple of his offices for a couple of years. So I, was, <laughs> I became sort of an indentured servant for a couple of years. <laughs> well, well, you know, I, I like your fighting spirit um, and resourcefulness, and you are the sort of person we need to help get us through these crazy times. It's it's an honor to have met you. So so oh, bring us to to libertynow.com and and what's yep. going on. Well, th this sort of um, idea that, you know, there was government corruption and, and we needed to do something about it um, has, has been with me, you know, since then. And um, I've just seen an increasing encroachment of government and violation of our civil rights. Um, you know, Bush really started to trigger me. I, I, you know, I had been pretty traditionally Republican, but then I, I saw the corruption of Bush and the weapons of mass destruction and, and the big lies behind that. And then um, I think finally, when I, I, I started hearing things from these conspiracy theorists about 9-11, which sounded just completely crazy, but I'm like, well, let's just suppose any of this is right. And I started just listening to some of the less crazy ones. And, and the more I dug into that, I, I started to realize that man, this is not the world that I grew up in as a kid. No. It's, 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 a, it was a slow transformation. It wasn't like taking a red pill instantaneously, but um, over the next 15 years, you know, it was like uh, kind of coming out of the matrix, you know? Uh, the, yeah. The website um, engineers and architects. Um, yeah. About nine yes. 11. That yeah. one, I, I find very, you know, it, these are like 5,000 highly respected credentialed architects and engineers who just said yeah. what we saw couldn't have happened unless, you know, things, it was different of what caused it. And we're not going to go down that whole rabbit hole, but I get that. I get that, you know, I, I'm the same way. I, my mom always called me a Pollyanna you know, and I just believed in the best in everybody. And oh, that's not happening. If we're just nice to each other. And, you know, right. it's taken me a long time to realize, well, yeah, most people are really nice, but there are some very corrupt people that are directing our world. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, the, the, the great advances in science and medicine and, and sociology have been created by, you know, unreasonable people. Exactly. But, 
that aren't going along with the mainstream narrative. And you can find lots of positive, happy, fluffy examples of that if you don't want to, you know, use any political examples. But it's always been true: um, is you know, people standing up and um, not being afraid to voice their opinion. And just uh, just in this vein, I just want to make uh, sure that people realize that uh, John has been um, in this fight, uh, you know, for some time in his community in New Zealand. And he had a radio show in New Zealand where he was interviewing uh, people like Patrick Wood, people like, uh, who, was, who was the New Zealand doctor? Dr. Samantha Bailey. Uh, Samantha Bailey, uh, and was actually, you know, being very respectful, going down the line, being very fact-based on, on how his reporting and uh, um, uh, what, what happened at that point to you, John. Oh, so... Um... Well, without any warning, um, I just got an email that said, um, we're dropping your show. Um, I had run into, I, I'd had discussions with the station manager a couple of times prior to that saying, well, uh, for example, when I've aired um, things from Project Veritas, um, exposing, you know, the, the sale of body parts, basically from abortion clinics and things like that. And I, I think that started to grate on the conscience of the, the station manager. And, and also you gotta understand that this is a government subsidized uh, public radio station. Right. Um, so they're, they're not, uh, they won't take a position that, that's contrary to um, anything, any government narratives. Mm. Um, so anyway, it, the, they, they were reminding me that I need to cite um, credible sources um, which which I, I document and I cite and I put in my show notes links and everything that with very strong evidence um, that might occasionally be contrary to the you know political narrative but nonetheless true and um, anyway but it was ironically the the interview with Dr. Samantha Bailey who's a very well respected although demonized yep. doctor um, that they said we're going to drop you so. Um, I, yeah, I lost all the listenership at that point and just sort of rebuilding again, but mm -hmm. um, that's okay. You know, I'll do whatever it takes to uh, get the truth out there. So did you find another place to host either, you know, traditional radio or are you doing an internet radio show? What are you doing now? Uh, just, just the podcast at the moment. I've got uh, Liberty Now podcast, which is linked up to the website. Um, and I'm, I'm, keeping my eyes out for uh, another radio station that, that might be willing to air the um, pre-recorded um, podcasts and, and future episodes. But for now, it's just, yeah, podcast. Good. Yeah. So Javier, you um, and John have been friends for a while here. You, you introduced us. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> we actually, we actually met very early on uh, when our kids uh, were going to, uh, to the to preschool together. Yeah. And that's where we met. Yep. And it was it was a it was a, a shock uh, to, to hear that they were going to leave uh, the U.S. And uh, at the time, I thought, lucky bastard with everything going on. Uh, <laughs> and now I'm realizing that, well, what's going on with the Arbenz government in New Zealand? It's not looking so bad here. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, the, the thing is, what, what we're facing is global, though, um, you know, I. I'm sometimes kind of mixed because um, there are pockets of, of greater freedom I see 
in some states in the U.S. where where people are definitely more resistant and open, and not uh, they're you know civil disobedience. Although it's not, they're they're not doing anything illegal. They're just following the constitution. But we don't have a constitution in New Zealand. Um, we just have you know something that sort some documents that guarantee freedoms. And there's the the uh, the uh, Waitangi um, agreement when the uh, white settlers came to an agreement with the native Maori here that, that offers some sort of, of uh, acceptance of, of freedoms, but, but nothing like the, the US constitution. So I, I keep harking back to that. And that was part of what I'm trying to educate people about is, is the importance of the, um, the US constitution and, and how important it is to the rest of the world, um, not just the United States. Yep. So true. And we do seem to be the leaders of, well, not us, because we're trying to support the Constitution, but our own government is leading the way and showing how to abuse and, and ignore and warp um, everything that this country stands for. It's, it, it was, it's a, it's a, I've, I've used this before and I apologize that I, I don't come up with something more original, but it's like a healing crisis. It is. Yeah. Those of us who understood that public health had been captured by the drug industry, by corporate America, and that global health had been captured by powerful entities who use medicine and health and disease as a way to control and to move society where they want that best benefits them. We saw that. We saw how systemic it was. And, and again, most people are great with working within public health. They're just, they're your neighbors, they're your friends, they're your family. But the system they're in is corrupt and it's corrupt from a very high level. And sometimes when you're in it, fish swimming in water don't always know they're swimming in water, right? Yes, you know. I, I use that analogy all the time. You, yeah. you, you have no idea the environment you're in until you've been removed from it. That's yeah. so true. Yeah, and then you can see it. And so, because it, it is so systemic, I mean, down to the fact that a doctor who's read all of the fantastic research on ivermectin in his hospital, even Dr. Paul Merrick, huge, highly respected, one of the most multi-published, he, he developed the treatment for sepsis, for goodness sake. And he's done a ton of research, so supportive of ivermectin, has got this fantastic protocol in the, his hospital system that he works in. He's forbidden to use ivermectin. This yeah, shows can, the, ab go ahead. I, I was just going to ask if, if we can talk a little bit about why that is. Yeah. It doesn't seem logical that there is uh, supposedly, I mean, backed up by studies and lots of research and thousands of doctors that there isn't a, an effective, safe treatment. Why yeah. is it that it's not being um, better publicized? And go, yeah. you, 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 I'm sure you know the answer. Well, the kind of the simple answer, um, because the pharmaceutical industry is really a tool of global powers, the simple answer is money. It, there's no big profits. Now Merck exactly. has come out with, they're asking for emergency use authorization on some very expensive $3,000 a dose type product that really does not work well at all. The, the clinical trials were really poor. 
and they're going to try to push this um, as as a new early treatment, you know, kind of thing. And it's just absurd because, yeah. And yeah. The, um, and it's interesting to know that I, I was it, um, can't remember if it's Merck or uh, Pfizer is coming out with their own patented branded version of a, a drug almost identical to ivermectin. Yep. So, so that's mm. okay. The same mechanism of healing is okay when it's a patented substance that they have control over, but it's not okay if it's something they can't patent from. And, and this is being reflected through government policy and um, censorship across all social media and mainstream media channels. Mm-hmm. I mean, that should make people's ears perk up. That alone. Right. So it's the gift of COVID. I hate that anybody's been harmed by SARS-CoV-2 and all of its variants and wherever they came from and whatever it is making people sick. And I hate that people have been harmed by the reaction. And that's a far greater harm in my right. book um, to this. However, this healing, the revealing, the more social media silences fact, provable fact, the more public health agencies do this, the more all of that, the more people wake up. We never lose anybody. I have never heard a single person who is out there talking about wanting to protect medical freedom, who have concerns about the safety of products, who, you know, want to bring on these non-patented proven treatments. I've never heard a single one say, oh gosh, I was wrong you know what, those vaccines are safe and effective. And I don't care about my freedom. It's much more important that my breath by gum doesn't kill grandma. Nobody goes to the other side, right? There's only a waking up of people of the systemic control and capture of public health and then the media. And freedom cannot flourish with a captured media. Really, you know, we could get rid of the captured public health if we did not have a captured media. That's really where the wake up, you know, is beginning to happen a little bit, but it needs to happen more and more and more because if we get real journalism back, you know, more people joining the the brave people out there um, that are speaking up, that's that's what it's going to take. Absolutely. Yeah. And then just to, to add on to that, one of the other important factors is that this is still under an emergency use authorization, Uh, even though, quote, they've approved uh, the Pfizer vaccine, Moderna and Johnson and Johnson are unapproved, and all three are still under EUA. The moment that you have a therapy that works, the EUA goes away. That's why ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, the multi-drug treatment profiles are being so suppressed. They cannot allow it to exist. Otherwise, mm-hmm. the EUA would, would, would be forced, and they'd have to go away. The other thing I need to mention is that in Germany, there's been a group of pathologists uh, Peter Schirmacher from uh, he's a he's a he's a quite respected pathologist in Germany. Thirty uh, percent of uh, forty autopsies that he did of people that died uh, soon after the vaccines, he said they all died from the va- from the vaccines themselves. So there's already provable autopsy cases in a in a in thirty percent of the autopsies that were carried out, and uh, the Institute uh, Pathology and I can't remember the name. There was a recent uh, uh, video from this institute that they corroborated independently his results. Mm-hmm. So the vaccines are directly responsible for, for these deaths 
Now, I haven't had a chance to read that, Javier. Have you looked to see, are they naming mechanisms of injury? Is it, is it like the blood clotting, the tissue yes. damage? What is it? Blood clotting, tissue damage, inflammation. Uh, those are the main causative factors. They're seeing a lot of inflammation of the uh, small endothelial cell linings, things like that. They didn't publish it as a paper. It was a conference. And they were okay. actually showing slides and they were showing uh, tissue sections of pathology. So it's slowly coming to light. It's dribbling out in drips and drabs. Mm -hmm. And the thing that people have to remember, at least the people that are, that are hearing uh, this radio show and listening it online, these are verifiable crimes against humanity. Yes. There are going to be no innocence involved when they say, you know, I was ordered to do this. That was a line that was used during Nuremberg, and it did not help. Now, yeah. I hate to say this, and I don't want to be, um, be aggressive about it, but these are capital crimes. Yeah, capital crimes. Hey, John, we're getting a little back feed, I think, from yours. If when you're not oh, speaking, sorry. if I could have you mute. Thank you. Um, yeah, so capital crimes, um, Javier, what is a capital crime as opposed to another crime? What's the definition of capital crime? Punishable by death? Punishable by death. And wow. again, there is a due process involved and capital punishment is not for, for international courts. And again, in the United States it depends on which state you're in and whether or not the federal uh, justice system will actually recognize that. But again, these, these all the data is there. Yeah. These, these injections, they're not vaccines, they're gene therapies. These injections are causing greater morbidity and mortality than the actual disease. And again, it's not being reported because the system has been designed not to report it, but the signal is so strong, we cannot ignore it anymore. No, no, can we I, all have can to, I go ahead. Interject, just, just one thing. I don't know, uh, I'm sure Javier, you saw that the, speaking of the VAERS reporting system, um, they're pulling their numbers from the CDC. Um, on July 9th or 17th, I can't remember, I pulled screenshots where they, the, the amount of fatalities that they were reporting that were likely due to be objective, likely due to the COVID vaccine, uh, was numbering upwards of 12,000 12, plus. Yeah. On the same day that uh, those data were pulled down and republished, the, the page was republished with half that number, around 6,000 something. And you can go back to the internet wayback machine and find screenshots of it. And I've, I've saved those, but um, it's, it's hard for me to believe that this might've been a data, a clerical data reporting error. No. So John, in, in the next hour, I'm gonna be playing an interview I did earlier today with uh, Jessica Rose, PhD research scientist, who has a, a paper published on um, that very subject, on Bears data, she did a deep dive analysis. So I encourage you to look at that. I need to go uh, read in depth the paper that she discusses, and you might um, see some answers there to exactly what you you witnessed. I'm not sure it's that many. I, I know that sometimes the data is a little confusing in that they've got two sets. There's the all the deaths in Bears, which are in the United States and internationally. And the numbers are about, you know, depending on the day, five or six thousand individual difference there. But there have been, um, she found when she did an analysis of the VARES data that there, um, there are missing 
things, uh, deaths that were reported and had numbers that are no longer there. Um, right. So yeah, so, uh, and I'll be posting on our website um, links when I get this show uploaded, uh, links to where people can find you at libertynow.com, right? Look for yeah. libertynow.com. And I'll also have the links to um, Jessica's study and her website. So you can follow, I you think you and Jessica might hit it off. You can talk to her and she's in oh, Israel. Cool. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Awesome. Oh yeah. yeah. There's some interesting things going on there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really amazing. So we got like one more minute before we're going to start hearing the music. Come on, John. So any last words for um, viewers today? No, um, thank you. And I, I apologize for the late uh, entry on the show here. Thanks to the miracles of modern technology and cell phones, I was able to make it here. But um, thank you for listening. Um, and I, I really salute you. And I appreciate your work and getting the word out there. So um, be brave, keep it up. And um, if there's anything more I can do to help, I'm, I'm here to do whatever I can. Well, thank you so much. It's an honor to have you on the show. We do have to be united globally because as you said, this is really um, a global takeover um, attempt. And I believe we're gonna win, but we're still in some battles, right? We're in the early battles. We're gonna win the war, but oh boy, these battles are <laughs> doozy. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, maybe at a future time we could talk about, um, you know, positive, actionable things that we can physically do. And, yes. and one of those things I've talked to Javier about is uh, maybe getting some yellow signs groups together. Uh, and we, maybe we could talk about that at another time. I'll, uh, I'll be posting some information on the website about that as well. Yes, but, uh, that's, yeah. that's great. Well, each of us, the most important thing each of us do is as we look out into the world for leaders and heroes and, and people taking charge and taking action, each of us in our own lives, in our own way, have to stand up and just say no, whatever the repercussions. If everybody did that, it would be over instantly. Agreed. So let's all stand up, let's set good examples and just do what it takes and support each other. If you're standing up and costs you your job, you know, let's all pull together and, and help people get through this difficult time because you know, our children and our grandchildren are depending on us right. to get through this, yeah. All righty. Yeah. So thank you, John. And thank you, Javier. Yeah. Um, you've all been listening to an Inform Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW. We're going to take a break and we'll come back and we'll be with uh, Jessica Rose, PhD from Israel. Hi, I'm Lynn Redwood, president of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. Our chairman, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and our entire team are devoted to ending the epidemic of illnesses and disorders plaguing our children today. Through legal action, we're working to hold industries and government agencies accountable and to establish safeguards to prevent further harm. We're working overtime during this COVID-19 crisis to keep you informed about the politics and science of rush vaccine candidates. Freedom and our children's futures have never been more in jeopardy. But we can succeed. With your help, we can stop the devastation and give our children and grandchildren the healthy future they deserve. To learn more about what we're doing and how you can help, visit childrenshealthdefense.org and sign up for our free news. Please visit childrenshealthdefense.org today. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. 
My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. High above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com. Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website informedchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informedchoicewa.org today. Welcome back to an Informed Life Radio at 1150 AM, KKNW. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager, and with me in the house is Javier Figueroa, PhD. So glad to have you here with me. Good to be here. Yeah. So last hour, we got to talk to you, uh, to John uh, Verd. Is that, I get his last name correctly here? That is correct. Down in New Zealand, he is uh, doing good work trying to bring real information to people down there. He tells us he's still a U.S. citizen and soon to be a a New Zealand citizen. You know, it's just important to be active. What an interesting life he's had. Uh, A bold man that I very much admire. And then this hour, I'm going to be bringing... um, to our viewers and listeners, an interview I did a little bit earlier today because it's Jessica Rose, PhD research scientist in Israel. And um, she's been doing amazing work looking, she's really good looking at data and pulling it out, looking for safety signals. And she recently did a pharmacovigilance study looking at VAERS, the vaccine adverse event reporting system, you know, to kind of see what was going on. And it's very concerning. So I'm gonna be playing that. So, um, and it's also important, I didn't get in the first hour, I wanna get it in this hour. I gotta remind everybody that treatment is possible. Early treatment is so essential. So I'm gonna go ahead and bring on a wonderful video um, by the FLCCC. There we go and play this for everybody here. These are the founding physicians of the Frontline COVID-19 Critical Care Alliance. They convened to develop highly effective treatment protocols to prevent the transmission of COVID-19 and to improve the outcomes for patients ill with the disease. Today, they want you to know how to prevent COVID-19, even against the variants. 
This is the molecule of ivermectin, the medicine that can end the pandemic. Ivermectin was discovered and developed in 1975 in Japan by Dr. Satoshi Amura and Dr. William Campbell. In 2015, Drs. Amura and Campbell each received the Nobel Prize in Medicine for Ivermectin's discovery. They deserved it. The medicine has brought relief and saved the lives of millions across the globe for nearly 40 years. Ivermectin was first used in humans in 1987 for the treatment of parasitic diseases. It has eradicated pandemics of numerous diseases for four decades. Plus, for nearly 40 years, it has been given safely across the world nearly four billion times. Ivermectin is on the World Health Organization's list of essential medicines. It has been deemed to be one of the safest medicines known to mankind. But this workhorse of a drug is not yet finished. In the past eight months, numerous controlled clinical trials are reporting consistent, large improvements in COVID-19 patient outcomes when treated with ivermectin. People treated with ivermectin experience numerous clinical benefits. Fewer infections, reduced inflammatory markers, more rapid improvement, more rapid viral clearance, shorter hospitalization, and a reduction in mortality. As you can see, ivermectin has been very well studied across the world. In fact, the amount of scientific medical evidence is mountainous. As of July 16, 2021, 60 clinical studies, including 30 randomized controlled trials, have evaluated the role of ivermectin in the treatment or prevention of COVID-19. Here's how it works. Ivermectin inhibits the replication of many viruses, including SARS-CoV-2, influenza, and others. Ivermectin has potent anti-inflammatory properties with multiple mechanisms of action. Ivermectin diminishes viral load and protects against organ damage in animal models of SARS-CoV-2 infection. It prevents transmission of COVID-19 when taken either pre- or post-exposure. It hastens recovery and decreases hospitalization and mortality in patients with COVID-19. And it leads to far lower case fatality rates in regions with widespread use. Then, when ivermectin is used with the additional components in the FLCCC Alliance's iMask Plus protocol, it can work even better in preventing COVID-19. So here is what the FLCCC Critical Care Physician Team recommends. Just like you keep a first aid kit around the house, please start keeping a just-in-case COVID kit. Here is what the kit contains. Ivermectin, vitamin D3, vitamin C, quercetin, zinc, melatonin, and gargle or mouthwash. 
You can find our iMask Plus protocol, plus all of our prevention and treatment protocols at flccc.net. We wish you a lifetime of good health. coming back here. So those are the fabulous folks at FLCCC. And it's just insane. The the war they're having to sort of wage of against the misinformation coming from our own government and, and governments around the world. Um, and we don't have a lot of time for chatter here because I got this great video I'm going to play. So Javier, stay tuned. And and uh, if I don't catch you at the end of the show, um, enjoy and I'll, and I'll catch you very soon. So yeah. I'm going to go ahead and get started here with this with Jessica. Let me get this one going. And here we go. Hi, Jessica. Hi, how welcome. are you? I'm very good. Welcome to an informed life radio. I should say welcome back. I had you. Yes. On. It's been a while now. I lose track of time how long it's been since I was actually me. wondering if you remembered how long it's been. It feels like a long time. Yeah. <laughs> it's been months, yeah? It's been months. And, you know, wow. it just, I, I never thought that months from when we last spoke that this would still be ongoing. But here we oh, are. Oh, not only that, but a little a little bit more on the, on the, what, would, what would be the, the way to describe this? A little bit more intense, let's say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just say it mildly, like an understatement. Yeah. That's a very British of you. It's a bit of like intense. <laughs> it's like a nuclear bombs have been dropping. Oh yeah, that's that's, that's a little that's bit wicked. A wee bit intense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you're coming to us from Israel. What what the heck is going on in your country around you? What are you seeing? Well, you know. Uh, a little um, glance at our world and data will will give you anybody an idea. Um, we're we're full past third shot madness, uh, putting it into three year olds. Um, yeah, it's three year olds. Oh yeah, they approved um, it for as low as three. Is it? Is there some sort of emergency use like? No, in there, the there's no States approval. Or? They're just pushing it on younger kids. And, and, and it's because the pushback isn't hard enough, I would say. Now, that's not saying there is not pushback. There is. Mm -hmm. um, and, and on the subject, um, a, a wonderful uh, testimonial video called Testimonials has been uh, launched onto the okay. web by a, a fantastic lady who, who wants to remain kind of sh for now. Um, yeah. But it is a compilation of stories of real people who have been injured by this okay. uh, and it it will break your heart and it will inform the public on on so many topics because one of the things that these things appear to be doing is damaging um systematically i mean systemically is what i mean yeah. uh, heart um neurological, immunological, females. Uh, yeah, so they, they cover a broad spectrum of subjects. And what's kind of striking about it is, 
I mean, first of all, there's this discrepancy kind of between what you see when you go outside and what people are saying, and mm -hmm. definitely between what the media is saying, because the media is saying zip. Mm -hmm. um, but most of the people who gave testimonials, it, it's not like they're recovered. Most of them are, are really damaged. Like one guy said, I'm just waiting for the, he's like 40 something. And he said, I'm just waiting for the third stroke to kill me. He's in a wheelchair. He wow. was an athlete. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, it's, it's really, really something everybody needs to see. So I'm, that's what's going on here. Yeah. But, uh, okay. And that website again is, is it testimonials.com or? Let me just double check. Okay. Not yeah. Yeah, while you look that up, you know, here in Washington, um, I did a post more than it's been a year ago um, about a young woman in her 30s injured by the J&J &J shot, um, still ongoing health issues, you know, very serious health issues. And it wasn't until recently that she even was of the kind of state of mind to look around her to see how other people were doing that she was close with because you know she was in you know in such a bad state and she realized that both of her parents are also suffering fairly severe um adverse reactions they all got the j and j shot on the same day but she was she was hospitalized whereas they are kind of just pushing through with the issues um her father used to run nine miles a day and now he can barely climb stairs this is exactly what you'll hear in, in this video it's called mm -hmm. um the testimonies project and you can find it at https dot dot slash slash www.vaxtestimonies.org and it's a, it has english subtitles so uh okay it's it's absolutely necessary it's the best doco i've seen since vax um, and it's just people talking. It, it, it's wonderful because it's doing the opposite of what it seems like is trying to be done, which is to bury these people and forget about them. Yeah. They're damaged. Let's, let's, let's sweep them under the carpet. I mean, it's mm -hmm. atrocious yeah. that that would happen to even one person in my mind, exactly. let alone population level. It's, exactly. yeah. Yeah, so how the, old were the parents? Uh, are, are they in their 70s or 80s? Um, or? You know, I'm not sure. I think I think in the in their let's see, 30, probably 60s. I, I didn't ask. Wow, that that's young. Date. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and they're taking care of her. So and this goes on and on. I talked to so many people who know somebody who are or have a loved one that got the shot and their health has been steadily declining and they've been fighting issues. And most of these people are not reporting to theirs, you know? Um, yeah, it's just, it's really a crime against humanity being pushed. And then you will hear the argument that, well, in the United States, you know, more than 600,000 people died. A few people suffering an injury from a shot is nothing compared to 600,000 people died. I mean, this is the the social engineering that has been planted among society that we can play God and decide, okay, it's okay to sacrifice this many people to save this many people. That should never be the equation. You do not use dangerous tools. 
especially when it's 99.9% recoverable for the vast majority of the planet and safe and effective treatments exist, early treatments exist, you know, ivermectin and so much more, you know, the, the planet is so generous in, in its ability to afford us healing um, products, natural products, um, existing man-made things. I mean, it's something as simple as gargling and nasal flushes with a little iodine solution or even gargling with Listerine has been shown in published peer-reviewed studies to reduce your viral load, reduce your chance of becoming infected because it kills the virus within seconds where it's replicating, right? And here they're going to make, you know, and it's just, it's so much more wide, widespread. We don't, I mean, we're really at the stage, Jessica, aren't we, that we don't believe that anybody who receives this, any of these products, any of the brands goes unscathed. It's, it's a level of degree and time That's what I think. Of when you're yeah. going to be feeling the impact of what these yes. um, new injection technologies are doing to you. It really does appear that way. And I mean, you know, I'm, I, I just want to, you know, there, there are no coincidences. So my bestie, Jilly, who I, I literally talk about every time I, I go on an interview now, <laughs> she has, she sends me the best stuff. So today she sent me an article published in biochemical and biophysical research communications. Uh, and it's entitled Natto, I don't know if I'm saying that right, Natto extract of Japanese fermented soybean food directly inhibits viral infections, including SARS-CoV-2 in vitro. So wow. if people don't know about that, I learned about it today because of my brilliant friend. Um, there are statistics, you can go to the article and see, that show a, cor a potential correlation between the, because the Japanese eat a lot of this stuff and yeah. they have a very low um, mortality rate in their elderly population. Yes. Seeing that right. So yeah, you're when you get a chance and I'll post it for our I listeners. Sure will. Yeah. This is like one of those examples of, um, of why we, you know, early treatment, absolutely, 100%. Yeah. But yeah. even before that's step, there are things we can do. Vitamin D, the yeah. only thing anyone should be like promoting right now, like in a public health policy position is vitamin D. Pump up your vitamin D levels because most people are deficient. Most people are deficient. And, um, and it is a little more complex than that. I love the sound bite. However, everybody needs to find a healthcare practitioner that they are aligned with in their approach to health and wellness, because for some people, it's not a matter of just making sure you get adequate supplementation, you That's know, and, and you need it with the whole complex, you need all of your vitamins and minerals and your vitamin K and what have you. But okay. some people have metabolisms, um, they have some, some health issues that are prohibiting the absorption or the use of vitamin D. So if you've got some chronic health issues, if you've got obesity, if you've got different issues, you'll want to see a healthcare practitioner because your supplementation may not be getting your levels where you need them. So, um, so while vitamin D, I love, let's push it, the soundbite, you know, it, you, you need to know for your own individual self, what your health situation is. I can't stress more anymore. Um, you need to go out there and shop for a healthcare provider to be your partner, just like you would shop for a spouse. Go on some speed dates, 
Eliminate the what people who are absolutely not in your corner. Find people aligned, narrow it down. And then before you ever get sick with anything, you've got a trusted partner who understands your way of wanting to move forward, how to be healthy, how to deal with illness. That's what you need now. Too many people just pick somebody out of the phone book or they go to whoever's at urgent care, you know, or they get whoever's just happens to be at the top of the list of who their insurance will cover. That's not how you shop for a healthcare partner, right? And, and you know, COVID's been a rude awakening that we really have to know who these people are that we're getting advice from, that we're trusting with advice, you know, Absolutely. and most of us, we can doctor ourselves, you know, I'm all for self-doctoring. However, I don't have an MD, I don't have an ND, I haven't done the research and I can do the basics and I always want to be fully informed, but I think it's so important to have that professional. So, you know, I just, I stress that every single show, but you have done some studies, um, Jessica, and there's, there's one in preprint now, which I will have you back on to discuss when it's, um, gets through the peer reviewed um, process, very excited, um, to, um, to talk about that one in the future, but the one that you um, are going to be sharing with us today, tell us about that one. It's about pharmacovigilance. Yes. So um, a, we probably in our in our last meeting, gosh, it's been so long, I don't remember, but we probably talked all about VAERS. So, but just yes. as a reminder, VAERS is an acronym for the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System of the United States, and um, as as abysmal as it is, it's one of the best. <laughs> it's uh, it's inherently flawed, but uh, you know it's 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 also good, um, and uh, it it can actually be used as a pharmacovigilance tool, which basically means that you can use the data to detect safety signals. That's that's what it's designed to do. Yeah. Um, so the paper is questioning whether or not it's being used as a pharmacovigilance tool that it is. And it, it doesn't appear to be so. And I, I don't make any claims about um, motives. You know, that doesn't concern me. I'm just looking at data. So I found three things, or, or I looked for three things. I looked at missing data, you know, how much was is actually missing. Uh, I looked at... Um, whether or not severe adverse events were being downgraded to uh, mild. And I looked at prob probably the most interesting thing that I found was um, that there, there are safety signals that were lost uh, in, in kind of May, April, um, March, April, May region because of a backlog of data that was being retroactively added. So just to kind of uh, be, be brief about it, there is missing data from VAERS and it's completely inexplicably missing. And to discern, or just to make the discernment, these aren't duplicates. So when, when you enter, a number of different people can enter uh, a VAERS report for one person, sometimes that happens, but there are teams of people to find these duplicate reports and remove the duplicates. But sometimes, you know, there are errors. Other times, uh, a person is reassigned a new VAERS ID in the process, mm -hmm. um, but this isn't that. This is VAERS IDs, which are people 
-hmm. that went through the trouble of filling out the form, takes about 30 minutes, got accepted, which is, you know, there's a vetting system for some reason, um, got into the system, the publicly available system, which you can download on their website, and then was inexplicably deleted. So the paper addresses a concern, that concern. And I asked the question in the paper, um, or, or it's, it's more of a, of, a, of a statement. If IDs are deleted from the system, there has to be an explanation why. And if, if an ID is changed, there has to be some kind of connecting variable between the two, because otherwise you're hunting in, in the dark. It's, it, it's, it's very strange that this is going on, considering that these are people. Um, so that's one thing. And what's the volume of, like, how many appear to have just disappeared like this, that were accepted and then disappeared? It was, what was it, back in, in um, I think it was early August that I, that I, uh, that was the last update. So there were about 400,000 VAERS IDs, and of that, there were about, I think, 1,500 missing. I mean, it's, it's, it's not a huge number but it shouldn't be a number like it shouldn't okay. there shouldn't be missing data and, and 13 mm -hmm. well i was just going to say of all those 1500 do you have record or snapshot of any of them of what it looked like before it disappeared Of you course. know, you know, sorry, you know, I was distracted. Yeah, yeah, of course I do. Yeah, okay. this, this is in uh, one of the charts in the paper. So I documented the whole thing, like as, as I went through update, 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 um, you can yeah. see like the okay. VARES ID was this and now it's this, or and the VARES ID is this and it's missing. So yeah, you, people can track that stuff. You, you have to use the VARES Wayback Machine. Okay, and and um, does there appear? I know you're not going to talk to motive, but is is there a pattern of the types of cases that attend to go missing? Okay. Yeah. So I exactly that's that's what I was thinking. I mean, this, this is it's strange, um, and it doesn't make sense, and there is no explanation. So if if you are a seeker of knowledge or or uh, or an answerer of questions you might ask yourself the question, okay, well, what percentage of these missing data are deaths? Maybe someone's trying to bury some deaths. Mm -hmm. So it's 13%, which is not a small percentage. And COVID-19 was a little higher than that, if, if I'm remembering correctly. Forgive me, I don't even remember what I did. <laughs> um, so COVID-19, so yeah. Yeah, the death in COVID-19, uh, Metricodes, which is the like you know the the the, the reason the side effect the person uh, um, reported or the symptom that they reported those are the two highest. Um, so, so, uh, so a vaccinated person is reporting to bears that they caught COVID nineteen and then had health issues because of COVID nineteen vaccine failure, in essence, or maybe. Um, infection complication because of vaccine exposure, it may have, you know, maybe this is indicating, and this is me just speculating, antibody-dependent enhancement or pathogenic priming or, you know, whatever, um, you know, there's a lot of different things that may potentially, and even Tony Fauci had said, 
may potentially make disease worse for you. <laughs> so, yep. yep. Yeah. There, there's, uh, you know, we can speculate at this point, but uh, yeah. the great thing about the system that I set up is that I can track this. I, I, I haven't been uh, because I have about 18 million other things on the go, but I all I have to do is press a button and update my code, and then I can see, you know, uh, th there might be, I should check actually, there might be a lot more missing data, but it seemed like as the weeks progressed, uh, there, there didn't seem to be like a pattern um, per se. So like if someone, if an AI was deployed, maybe it would be able to find some kind of, you know, distinct pattern of, of removal, but mm -hmm. I, it would be hard for a human. This, yeah. this data set is a nightmare at best. Um, and it, it's very like, uh, it's very human eyesy, if you guys know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> you have to look. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that can be really complicating um, because human illness and the experience of injury or you know adverse reaction or or just ending up at the hospital the language that we use can be so varied and yet maybe mean the same thing so i i just think it you know i know that they do work the people who work at theirs i've heard that they're just awesome hard-working people really trying to yeah. do their best the people who are doing the entries reviewing the cases but because it's human beings entering and different language can be used. You might have six entries that actually indicate the same mechanism of injury, but it's all worded differently. So it's not showing a pattern of injury, um, you know, that they're all linked. You know, it's, yeah. it's really a very flawed system because human health is very complex, right? It is. And this, yeah. the system itself is, uh, I mean, it was built in 1990. It hasn't really been updated. Um, and there, there are so many extra people recruited. I think I, this is what I understand from the SOP that, uh, that have been recruited to, um, to vet and to enter the data into the, the, the front end version that the public can see. Um, so yeah, I really feel for those people because I mean, and I feel for the, I mean, there's two levels of this. There, there's also the aspect of, um, the, the, the VAERS reports that are made that don't get into the system at all. There's also like, yeah, I mean, a, a, a doctor a, a doctor spends, you know, what, 12 hours working on patients and he, he's like, oh my gosh, I have like a hundred potential, you know, adverse events. You know, he, he sees patients, yesterday they got their injection, today they had a cardiac arrest. So like by, by law, I believe it's a law, yeah. You have to report that to theirs, but yeah. if you have a hundred of those every day and you just work the 12 hour shift, I mean, they're, they're going to sit there for a while. And even the most benevolent person, I mean, they're going to have trouble with that. And we've had a lot of whistleblowers come forward from various um, medical organizations say that they're discouraged from reporting yep. um, adverse reactions you know, they don't want to undermine confidence or, you know, you know, in the vaccine, you know, in the vaccine program. And um, there was the one nurse who was on the high wire. Um, if you're familiar with Del Big Tree and the high wire. And she, she was volunteering to, yeah, to report um, other doctors um, is issues for them. 
And her hospital administration says, no, you can report your own, but you cannot report other people's for them. So here they had a willing person, willing, you know, able to help who figured out how to enter because it is kind of complicated. And if you make a mistake or it times out, you got to start over. It's ridiculous. That's right. And um, who's going to do that? No one's going to start again. <laughs> no, no. So yeah, the number of that are just not showing up in the system, but you know, more and more whistleblowers are coming forward, talking about what's going on from all levels, from injury to breakthrough cases. You know, it's not true that the majority of cases are in the unvaccinated. Many that are labeled unvaccinated, they just are not two weeks past the second dose, or they may be more than three months past the second dose. And wherever the medical situation they're in, they're, they're deeming that unvaccinated because of waning. Um, yeah, so we just, so we, you know, Jessica, I think it's really important, you know, um, on our side, when we're hypercritical for good reason of vaccine products and, and vaccine programs and agencies, most people working within the healthcare system are just really good, hardworking folks trying to do the best they can. The problems, the systemic problems, and let's face it, and Bernadette's going to call it criminal problems happening. Those are happening from the top, from the direction, from how things are structured, what's being driven. I don't want people to think that, you know, we don't support our medical people or even the people who work within the system who just go to work every day and do the best they can. Um, we are, however, asking them that within their capacity and what they're observing to stand up and speak out. Right? Yeah, we need something support. is right. Yeah, you got we need to. More. We need everybody who sees things are wrong to stand up. We own, we can end this today and we can begin to turn this boat and make important changes to what's going wrong. If everybody stood up, they can't fire all of you. That's <laughs> everybody right. stand up, speak the truth and let's change this. And let's start, let's, let's start helping the injured. Let's stop preventing, start preventing injury. Let's get early treatments out there and let's reform the system, you know? Yeah. Okay. And so everyone can stay out of the hospital. Exactly. And, and so back to your study. So we, we've covered that you found missing um, entries. And then you said there was two more major areas you covered. What, were, what was the second one? So the second one's kind of, well, I'll, I'll go to the last one. It's, it's, there's nothing to tell. There were some people who were hypothesizing that severe adverse events were being um, were being downgraded to mild ones. And that the, 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 the idea there was that, um, you know, they could, they, they could change death to, to, to something else that wasn't death, for example. And, and then, da, 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 da. so I, I checked this and I didn't find that that was happening in the data. Um, oh, so, okay. yeah, so I, from, from what I did, uh, I didn't find that to be the case. Now I'm, I'm you know, I, I can do another assessment in a month and see if something has changed and I will, but that's what I found for now. Okay. And, but the most important thing that I found was this missing safety signal thing, which is a really, really, really big deal. Um, so back in March, uh, uh, if, this if year or last year, this year, this year, if you were monitoring the VAERS system, 
let's say you you're uh, you're doing a a self risk benefit analysis and and you're using VARES as uh, what it's meant to be used for to detect safety signals that weren't detected in pre market testing, and you were looking at deaths because let's say your your grandma. Um, you know, she, they're telling her that she needs to be injected and you're like, I don't know. And so you're watching the VAERS uh, death data for age group, okay? Just as an example. So back in March, if you had looked at how many people had died, you would have noticed that the number wasn't like dramatically high. It was, however, above the previous threshold for cutting off rollout of uh, vaccine products, the, the flu vaccine, which was 50. So mm -hmm. it had exceeded that, but it hadn't gone to like the, the really high levels that it's at now. Mm -hmm. However, that wasn't the real number. And the way that I discovered this was that I compared the, the weekly update data with the, with the most recently update data. So let me explain. Uh, every week, there's a new VAERS data set. And when I say new VAERS data set, I really mean that. <laughs> the previous one is overwritten. So if you don't download every week, you're, you're missing all that valuable information. It's kind of like track and trace. So if you plot the number of deaths from January or, you know, the end of December to, to now, per, per update, so it's a weekly uh, death count, and you, you plot that on a two-dimensional graph, you know, date against um, number of deaths, then you're going to see, like, what looks like an exponential curve. <clears throat> and it, it kind of has a slow growth at the beginning, and then sometime at the end of March, around March, it starts to, to increase a little, the rate increases a little. And so, okay, that's fine, you know. So the safety signal was starting to be thrown off, uh, you know, a little bit toward late April, I, I believe. So, but the point is we're kind of, we're gonna focus on March for now. So the safety signal, you wouldn't have seen one that was terribly dramatic in March. However, if you take the most recently updated VAERS data set, like you can download it today, I just did, um, comes in on Fridays. And you extract the number of deaths per week, and you plot that on the same graph, you superimpose these, you would expect that they would line up pretty well, right? Maybe there would be some discrepancies, but it shouldn't be like wildly different. And it is wildly different. Mm -hmm. So what you see, instead of this exponential curve that looks like this, you see something more like this. So there's this big gap in between the two lines which basically means missing data. So that's that's a question mark I can't answer. I, I imagine that that's, that's the backlog that had the back, been filled in. That's what I was and, thinking, the backlog that you wouldn't have seen in March in time to say, whoa, 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 let's slow down. It didn't right. show up for, for months. So yeah. if you take that like a day in March, a week in March, and, and your, your two-dimensional axis is like this, mm -hmm. you line up those two points, which represent the number of deaths on the you know, original date versus the real date, you know, yeah. the yeah. delta is very, very different. And uh, so it's, it's kind of the, these, these lines have converged now, which is an indication that the backlog is, you know, it's, it's been caught up. However, 
this curve, if you, this curve that represents the, uh, the number of people who've died every week from the most updated data set, I thought for a while that the trajectory was indicating that we were gonna stop seeing so many reports being made. It was starting to plateau, which is what you would expect because we're not, it's not exponential growth, it's logistic growth. There's this thing called the carrying capacity. And in this case, it's the people being injected. So mm -hmm. after a certain amount of time, the injections will slow down and the number of adverse event reports will stop coming in either because they're not getting them anymore or they die. Mm -hmm. So that's what we started to see in this trajectory. However, now it's starting to go back up again with the same slope that it was starting to go up in March and April. So this could be one of two things or both. It could be more backlog being entered or what I think it is, are the autoimmune diseases and this, you know, antibody dependent experience uh, taking effect. And people who were injected months ago are now seeing the effects. Mm -hmm. Cancers are starting to come up. Uh, previous uh, people with, with pre-existing autoimmune conditions, neurological disorders. I mean, the, these types of things are all starting to really grow in number in the VAERS system. So, Oh, that's interesting. So you're seeing new types of injuries being reported. You're seeing an increase in the autoimmune that they weren't before, but now that the time delay, it is appearing. That is concerning. Well, the numbers are going up and, and this, I mean, there, there's so many variables here. I mean, they're actually creating new terms, if you believe this one, at Medra codes to suit yeah. this. Wow. Like, what's that one? Um, uh, um, uh, um, oh gosh, child. Um, Multi-inflammatory oh system one? The yes, that one, that one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there, there's a couple that have been introduced and there are over 10,000 like different types of adverse events in the system now. And, and by the way, I, I'm not emphasizing this enough. None of this has happened before in history, not even close, mm -hmm. not mm -hmm. even close. Like there's no comparison between this, what's happening now, just numbers, you know, no position here, just numbers compared to what we've seen in the past. Exactly. Total counts, deaths, uh, effects on, on resurgences of previous viral infections, neurological disorders, cardiovascular disorders, myocarditis, I mean, it, it's none of this has happened before with a biological product or a pharmaceutical product, which probably would never happen because pharmaceuticals have to undergo very rigorous uh, like vetting before they get into humans. Biologicals, uh-uh. And this is neither biological sense. nor pharmaceutical. It's genetic therapy. It's sort of this in this whole other realm. And I'm yeah. very concerned because Pfizer has applied for, um, uh, I don't think it's licensing, but emergency use in the United States for the children. I know that you say they're pushing it already in Israel on the children, but I think it's age five to 12. And they're saying they're giving them like a, a half dose or a third dose, but a smaller dose. But I beg the question, does, is dose really a major factor in genetic therapy? Because it's not a little hair of the dog. The measles vaccine is a hair of the dog. You get a little bit of uh, measles virus that they have 
you know, changed in the lab a little bit so that it doesn't give you full-blown disease, but, you know, you're, it gives you um, an immune reaction to hopefully build antibodies. This is genetic therapy. It just tells your cells, here's the instructions for how to make a spike protein. And I'm wondering about dose, right? So they say they get a smaller dose, and I'm not sure that that matters. I don't know that dose matters as much with a genetic therapy. You know, it might be all relative. Yeah, the child is smaller, uh, less weight, and you might That's have given small, smaller uh, numbers of instruction booklets, but it might be um, comparatively. And, and so far, I haven't, I haven't seen any of the data on their supposed clinical trials, but you hear whispers in the media of, oh, they had the same adverse reactions um, as they did with adults. Well, that is not, that's not encouraging. No, it's not. Um, so I, if I was going to say, I would say that dose is important okay. because it seems like the higher dose product, like just as an, you know, an example, uh, and, and I don't believe anything I, I read anymore, definitely not from the media, but there, there was something that came out, Byron Bridal mentioned that um, one in 5,000 kids aged, I think, 16 to 29 uh, were suffering myocarditis. And it was one in 28,000, I think, from the Pfizer product. And the Pfizer product is like one third of the dose. So I, I think that's that's what it is. It's like okay. 30 versus 100. So okay. I, I, this is all just an idea. It's yeah. possible. It's possible that the dose does matter, which would justify their thinking. But I you know, I'm not right. thinking. Right. Um, that, that's, that's like moot because kids don't need this crap. No, they don't. They, don't no, they absolutely it. like, don't. yeah, the fact that they're pushing it on, on kids at all, especially little people who are, are forming, like their brains are still forming, mm -hmm. you know, they haven't even mm -hmm. hit puberty. It's like, what are you doing? They don't need this. They're not oh. sick. They're yeah. not a threat. They're not a risk group. No, like it doesn't they, make any sense. They're using children as human shields in two ways. Those who believe that vaccines will save the world and fully admit that children are not at high risk from COVID. They develop, they get through it fine. They develop natural immunity, but they believe they need to be vaccinated to more quickly prevent them from transmitting to adults, which of course the science doesn't support because it doesn't stop transmission. But that's the, that's the rhetoric being put out there is that you vaccinate the children to protect the adults, which is highly immoral and unethical is using children as human shields. Yep. But what's underlying that is an even sicker, more amoral, unethical human shield usage. And that is in the United States, if you want the protection of a vaccine to fall under our 1986 National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act, which also would cover adults if it's 
if it's um, recommended to children, if an adult gets it, it gets the liability shield. And the yep. pharmaceutical industry wants to move from the PREP Act in the United States for full liability protection to the shield, to the umbrella of the 86 Act. The only way to do that is to have it recommended to children. So they're using them as a financial liability shield, which just, it could make me throw up. It's so highly unethical. Yeah, it is vomitous. I, I don't see how, like, like I'm trying to get the kids uh, themselves, the parents, of course, they need to get on board, but the kids themselves need to, like, absolutely not doubt any, any idea or inkling that something is terribly wrong here. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm actually mm-hmm. starting a uh, talk to teens group, um, and I hope it's going to spread worldwide. Oh, that's a good thing to mention here. I, mm-hmm. I've started a uh, with with a Canadian colleague from the Canadian COVID Care Alliance, a, a team talk group. Uh, so we're we're going to be meeting either we're trying to set a, a, a weekly day, but it looks like it's going to be either Saturday or Sundays at um, like 1 p.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time, I think. Anyway, so the first meeting we had, it struck me um, the the youths. Oh gosh, I can't even imagine what it's like to be a kid right yeah. now. I mean, can you imagine? I don't have pressure. kids, so yeah, incredible. No, it's it's it not is. even peer pressure. It's like it's teachers. I I heard kids tell me that their teachers are 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 villainizing them, and I'm like, that's not what a teacher is supposed to do. Yeah. Your teacher is supposed to be this person that you run home from school and say, hey, my teacher gave me a star. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like. What happened? And why are, why are kids, they shouldn't have to go through this. These are the best years of their lives. So yeah. I want to turn that around and make this the best years of their lives and take those rebels and make them like a fighting force because yeah. we need it. We need it. And it's really sad that we have to move into this because, you know, most of the people in the medical freedom informed consent movement that I know entered it because their children were vaccine injured. And they want to educate and they want to shield children. And we have never with our messaging ever targeted children, always educating parents, educating legislators, um, educating public health officials who never listen, but we try anyway. But we've always tried to be respectful. When we do events and rallies, we really keep a distance, say, from schools. We try very hard not to put children in this conflicted state where like mommy's telling me this, but these people are saying that, but we are being forced because um, public health and the pharmaceutical industry through public health is targeting our children and the messaging is going to our children through, through teachers, through, through society everywhere we have to join them and provide that information. And we don't want to traumatize them. No. We want to empower them. And there are some youth who are of the personality type that they're going to welcome it and, and they're good about it. Um, we have to be careful of those who, you know, you got to have a certain life experience to be able to stand up for what you believe to be right when it opposes what you're being told by everybody else. And, you know, it is a very challenging time to be alive. And I've heard from so many young people, we, you know, they want the science. We give them the science, we give them the politics, and we say, we'll respect your decision, but please, please read thoroughly. And they do. And they come back and say, don't want the shot. I, I, I don't think it's right for me. I think it's potentially dangerous. I'm very concerned about the politics, but I want to go to prom. 
but yeah. I want to go to college. But, but I want to play in my soccer team. I want to play in my soccer team. And because they don't have the maturity and the life experience to really understand this decision, they get the shot anyway, you know? Well, there are, you've heard that there are even, there's this phenomenon of, uh, of it being like the cool thing to do now. Yeah, I got two jobs. Yeah, I got one job. Here's my, like, there, that's a thing yeah. now. That's another thing that I learned and I'm like, course that is I mean yeah. I don't think about it because I'm not a little person anymore but like it's so easy for me to see because you right. know we don't change humans yeah. are the same yeah you know there, there's there's peer pressure and there's you know the bully in the, in the schoolyard and there's this and there's that and, but th this is like that on speed with with all this yeah. new technology crap I mean I, I just don't understand how anyone's coping with this because just that phenomenon alone mm -hmm. would, would like, you know, put a, put a young person like in, in a state of bewilderment. I mean, all the, all the you know, the, the flashing stuff from the phones and the ads and the Zen and everything's fast and, you know, yeah. how do they deal? I don't know. How well, a lot aren't. We know that anxiety yeah. is up. Um, depression is up, suicide yep. is up, everything shows that a lot of kids are not coping. And, yep. you know, it's, and it's tearing families apart. Yes, it I is. Know, I know moms who, you know, whose husband and children went out and got it and they're living in households surrounding, you know, trying to provide love and support to their loved ones who went out and did, you know, what they believe to be very harm, what she believes to be harmful. It's usually the mom as in everything, um, in this vaccine, vaccine movement has always been, it's like, it's a mom driven, not that they're not awesome fathers. There are, I know one dad in particular, he is so fantastic at protecting his daughter. He's just amazing. We need more men like him. Um, and there's many men, I shouldn't say just, I know one, I know many, but you know, it is predominantly, and I think it's it's just the way it is. It's it's human nature. As much as they try to say that there's no difference between men, women, and everything in between, there is a maternal drive of nurturing care for that is a. And there we go. I'm going to uh, shut myself up with that recording there. We had just a few more minutes to go and I will play that next time. So you've been listening to an informed life radio on 1150 AM KKNW. Have a great weekend. Live an informed life. Be safe. Be healthy. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. High above 
above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com. Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website informedchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informedchoicewa.org today.